Father, as we come to Genesis chapter 9 and we uh, uh, try to figure out this sin of Ham, Lord, that was so serious that you uh, cursed one-third of the world's population for all of history, uh, Lord, and, and things have been different because of what Ham did. So, Lord, we know it's a very, very serious sin, and, and we want to try to figure out just what it was, Lord, and what it is now so that we don't engage in that sin, and there's a danger, Lord, especially for those of us who are born again, that we commit this sin of Sam, Ham, rather, and, and Lord, I just, just uh, ask that you convict us in our hearts of just how dangerous this sin is. Lord, there's a lot of religious people who have committed this sin, and, and uh, Lord, it's kept them out of the kingdom of God. And, Lord, there might be some people sitting here today that might be convicted today that they're engaging in this sin. I know I'm convicted that sometimes I do, Lord, so uh, uh, we'll look at that later on. And, Lord, I just thank you for your grace, and I thank you for your mercy, and I thank you for your word, and I thank you how it convicts us and teaches us, and, and Lord, just uh, how it can change our lives if we are become doers of the word. And this is a very important lesson today, Lord, so I just ask that you bless it by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask it in Christ's name, amen. Well, I was picking a title for this message, and and I was thinking maybe I'd call it the sin of Ham, but everybody that comes to this passage titles their message the sin of Ham, so I thought, well, maybe I'd call it the sin of Brandon or the sin of Roy. Uh, actually, uh, I'm just teasing about that, but it is a sin that uh, has been around throughout the ages, so I picked another title. It's called There is Nothing New Under the Sun. And that title comes from the book of Ecclesiastes in a very profound passage, a verse there that, that uh, Solomon gives us uh, in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, verse number 9. So look with me there in verse number 9 of chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes. And listen to what he says. This is really interesting. He says, that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And then he says, and there is nothing. He makes a conclusion here. He says, and there is nothing new under the sun. Now, what's he mean when he says there's nothing new under the sun? Well, what he means by that, the sun has seen it all. I mean, the sun has seen everything that has happened from Adam until uh, what's today, March the... I mean, February the, what is it, the 17th? February the 17th, 2019. The sun has seen it all. I mean, the same sun that uh, shined on uh, Adam's face way back in the beginning of creation is the same sun that will shine on my face if it ever clears up here in Lafayette and we see the sun again. But uh, it's the same sun. And so... Uh, and what the sun has seen over the years is the same thing that God has seen, obviously. And that is that men never really change, that they are wicked. The same wickedness that was around in the antediluvian world before the flood uh, destroyed that entire uh, society 
is still around today. And it didn't take it long for it to pop its head up again. I mean, we, we'll be looking at the Tower of Babel in a few weeks, and, and, and that just shows you how bad things got and how fast it got bad. Uh, we'll, later on, we'll look at Sodom. Not, I mean, a good while from now, we might get back to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and, and just look how bad that was. Uh, just, you know, not that long after the flood. Uh, then we'll begin to look at uh, the Israelites and we'll, we'll study this nation and we'll see how bad they get. Brandon's looking at that now. Before they were judged, they became just as decadent as, as things, uh, as a decadent of a society as, as the antediluvian society was. And then uh, you have the Greek society, the Greek empire, and you see how decadent and wicked it was. And the Roman Empire, how decadent and wicked it was. And then you fast forward all the way to 2019 and you can come to the United States of America and you can clearly say what Solomon says. That which has been is what will be and that which is done will be done and it's being done now. Right here in 2019. It's always been done. The things that we see that shock us don't shock the sun. The sun has seen them before. They don't shock God. He's seen them before. The, the world has always been wicked. Why has the world always been wicked? Because man's heart is evil. And man has, a, has inherited the sin nature of Adam. And we have a propensity not to do good, but a propensity to do evil. It's in all of us. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that it's in you, that you have a propensity to do evil. And so, you know, when we see come, I, I hear these prophecy guys talking about how well we know we're in the last day because things are as bad as they were, uh, they're as bad as they've ever been. No, they're not any worse than the Roman Empire. They're not any worse than the antediluvian society that was destroyed in the flood. Those prophecies about things getting worse and worse really apply to the church. And when the church gets really bad, you know you're in the end times, and I think we've really reached that point where the church has gotten really bad. And we're not doing what we're supposed to do, and so we're not reaching this world, and it's just spinning out of control. But it's been out of control before. But where's God in all of this? God is on his throne, okay? And, and he's in control. Now, uh, the same that's true for everybody in this world is true for this great hero that we've been looking at the last few weeks, this guy named Noah. I mean... Uh, a couple of, just a couple of weeks ago, we spent an entire message talking about the characteristics that made Noah a mighty man of God. I mean, I mean, just go back and think about it. I mean, here was this guy who was, who was minding his own business, and God came to him and said, I'm going to destroy the world, and I want you to build a boat. And it took him 100 years to build that boat. And by building that boat, he became a preacher of righteousness. And, and, and when God told him to get on that boat, he got on. And when God told him to get off that boat, he got off. He didn't get on one day earlier than God told him to. He didn't get off one day earlier than God told him, and told him to. So he was totally obedient to, to, to God. But there's nothing new under the sun. The same thing that happened to Adam happened to Noah. And we're going to see Noah's great fall as we go back now into Genesis chapter number 9. And let's look at this beginning now in verse number 18 is where we left off last time. Verse number uh, 18. All right. 
This is what it says. It begins by saying, now, the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. Now, I've mentioned this before when we were in another passage uh, that this verse right here, uh, we actually looked at this verse, leaves open the possibility that Noah had other sons that didn't come on to the ark, so they didn't get off the ark. Well, all we know for sure is that Noah had three sons. He had uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, I don't think Noah and his wife had any children after the flood. I don't, we don't get any indication of that. It's not in any of the genealogies. So, so I doubt he had children, but, but he might have had children. It, wouldn't, it, it could be there, and it's just not in the text. But something really interesting here, it mentions Ham was the father of Canaan. Now, why do we get Ham's son here uh, in this verse number 18? Well, a lot of people say immediately we want to recognize that Ham was the father of the Canaanites who became the people that occupied the promised land before Israel crossed the Jordan and went into the promised land and conquered the, the Canaanites. And so they're important characters to the, to the biblical story. But I think there's m- much more going on here. They're part of the curse of Ham. They're the ones who are going to get cursed. Because it's going to be Ham's sin that's going to affect them. And that's why Canaan is mentioned here in verse number 18 right away. So we get this character that he's going to be part of this curse that's going to be affected by this sin of Noah and this sin of Ham. Now, we get to verse number 19. It says, these three were the sons of Noah. Watch this now. And from these, the whole earth was populated. Everybody on this earth, if we could do it, We could trace our genealogy back to one of these three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I mean, we came forth from them. Now, these were were not three races, as some people want to teach them. We're going to talk about that next week. The races came later on. These are three sons of Noah. They're not three different races. And and any anthropologist worth his salt would never say that. But, But we can trace back, everybody came forth from Ham, Shem, and Japheth and their uh, wives. All right, now, uh, verse number, let's go to verse number 20. And so we see something interesting here. It says, and Noah began, began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Now, it says he began to be a farmer. Now, what was Noah before the flood? More than likely, what was he? He was a carpenter. That was his expertise uh, because God called him to build an ark. He usually calls people who are skilled to do what uh, he calls them to do. And if they, aren't, if they aren't skilled, they're gifted, and he can teach them how to do what he wants them to do. But no matter how you look at it, by the time Noah finished the ark, he was a qualified carpenter. He was a carpenter uh, ex- uh, expert at that point. And so, uh, more than likely, he spent most of his life as a carpenter, but probably more than a carpenter, he was a contractor. And uh, he knew how to build this boat. And so, you look here, and what's he begin to do? I would think what he would begin to do is to build some homes for all of these, for him and his family. Use his carpentry skills to build some homes and, uh, for, for, for them to live in. But the... Objection to that would be there wasn't any, the, you know, most of the trees had been destroyed, so there wasn't any lumber, but there was, wasn't there? A lot of lumber. 
Where was that lumber? It was on the ark. It was already ready made for them to tear off the ark. And they had already, as we talked a couple of weeks ago, they had already turned the ark into a convertible. They took the top off, it, off of it, waiting for God to tell them to get off so they could see the sky. Uh, and so the wood was there for them to, to, to build their homes. But he doesn't build homes at this point. Uh, he doesn't use his skills. He began to be a farmer. Now, why would he do that? Well, the need for eating was much more pressing than the need for a place to live. They could make tents and live in tents, and they had probably had the materials for that uh, in the ark, and so they could make tents. And, 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 uh, uh, and another reason, they probably didn't know yet just where they wanted to settle down, and so they were just parking here for a while and waiting on God and seeing what was going to happen next. But he had a pressing need for something else too. This text tells us right here. He wanted something else in his life. Noah wanted some wine. And so he planted a vineyard. Now, can you blame the guy? I mean, think about it. If anybody ever needed a drink, <laughs> Noah needed a drink. I mean, he stepped off of that boat into an apocalyptic world, a world that had been destroyed by the flood. And, I, and I'm sure that when, when the Lord spoke to him and the Lord, you know, the Lord uh, told Noah to, to build the ark and then the Lord told the Noah to come off of the ark, to get on the ark and then come off the ark. And then he, get, remember, we looked a couple of weeks ago, he gave him the Noahic covenant and, and uh, he told him that he would never, God told Noah he would never destroy the, any, the, all living life on earth ever again. And then he gave him the sign of the rainbow. I mean, you got to believe Man, his adrenaline was flowing high. I mean, here he is talking to God, God speaking to him, making a covenant with him. And man, he is so excited. And then the next day he gets up, he doesn't hear from God. Isn't that the kind of way it is? I mean, very few times in our life do we really, truly hear from God. I mean, where we really know God has spoken almost audibly to us. I mean, I think for some it happens more often than it does for others, but, but it's not an everyday thing. Now, what did Noah have to do? He had to do at this point the same thing you and I have to do every day. He had to walk, learn to walk by faith because there's no indication here in this text that God ever spoke audibly to him again. Now, here's this guy who's used to hearing from God audibly, and all of a sudden God goes silent, and that's got to depress him. I mean, his prayer life got tough. Prayer is tough. Prayer is really tough. That's why it says in Hebrews chapter 11, it is impossible to please God without faith. Those who seek him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that seek him diligently. I mean, and diligently means it's hard work to seek God. And so Noah's living a whole new life here and. And, and uh, it, it, it wasn't going to be easy. I mean, he's in a, uh, living in a world that's a really lonely, lonely place. There aren't many birds. There aren't many animals. I mean, a lot of fish. They all survive. But it was a lonely, lonely place. And I got to believe he did have other children. And what did he have to be thinking at this point? They're gone. They're gone forever. I'm not going to see my children anymore. So he had to mourn the fact that he wasn't going to see his children anymore. He had to mourn the fact he wasn't going to see his, his friends or any of his relatives anymore, just his three sons 
and their wives and later on their children. And so again, who can blame him? I mean, life for him became very, very tedious. Very, very boring. I mean, he kept himself occupied to some degree with his farming. But there wasn't any TV to watch. There weren't any movie theaters to go to. There weren't any sports to watch. There weren't any saints. They would have lost even if they'd been the only team on earth. And they would have broke their, his heart, so he would have still wanted to drink. I mean, all of Louisiana, I think liquor sales in Louisiana are up 100% since the Saints lost. I mean, I don't think he had many books to read. He probably took some books, if they had books back then, he probably took some of them on the ark with him. But he didn't even have a Bible to read. Think about that. No Bible to read. I mean, when I get really down and depressed, I, I get my Bible out and read my Bible. And, and he didn't have that. And, and he had to live by faith. And so he, I believe at this point, was longing for some of the pleasures of the antediluvian world. And so what did he do? He planted him a vineyard. And he planted him a vineyard. And look what he does in verse number 21. Then he drank the wine and was drunk and became uncovered, naked, in his tent. Now, no doubt, Noah didn't set out. I don't think he set out to get drunk. But he went down the same path a lot of people go down when they drink. One drink leads to another drink. Another drink leads to another drink. To another, to another, and before you know it, they're drunk. Uh, I don't, personally, and I'm probably get myself in trouble here, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a drink or two. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But, uh, you, if you drink a drink or two, you better have the discipline to leave it at a drink or two. And few people have that kind of discipline. And that's why sometimes it's better just to leave it alone totally. You tack on a bad situation to your drinking. You tack on a a marriage where you're having trouble in your marriage and you start drinking and you're going to start getting drunk. You tack on a situation that depresses you, that breaks your heart, uh, that that, uh, uh, really bothers you. There's going to be a tendency to do more than just have one or two drinks. There's going to be a tendency to get drunk. You can even have a good situation, something you want to celebrate, and so you're going to drink, have a drink or two, and that can turn into a situation real quick where uh, you get drunk. And you get so drunk, there's this clear and present danger that you get so drunk that uh, you do something you regret for the rest of your life. And I believe that's exactly what Noah did. Now, why would Noah even plant this vineyard and make wine and get drunk? Well, a lot of expositors, because Noah's considered such a righteous man, say Noah didn't know what he was doing. He was just trying to make grape juice. And he didn't know that the grape juice was fermented, and so he just made a mistake. You know what that reminds me of? Remember what Aaron said when, about the golden calf? He said we threw the gold in and the calf popped out. Well, that would be the same. If Noah was making that excuse, it would be the same excuse to me. He knew exactly what he was doing. But, but wait a minute. I mean, wasn't Noah 
a righteous man in his generations. Isn't that, that's exactly what we're told. Over in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, it says Noah was a righteous man in his generations. But to understand that, you've got to understand the verse before that. In Genesis 6, 8, because he had found favor in the eyes of God. He was a righteous man because of grace, because of his faith in God. That's what made him righteous. And because he became righteous, he didn't shake off his fallen nature. If you get saved, and that's totally different from Noah. Noah didn't get saved. I believe he was saved by his faith. But back then, we, we, we hadn't come to Pentecost. When we get saved, we get a new nature. We get a new nature by the Spirit of God. I mean, we're changed forever. But we don't shake off that fallen nature until we die. That's why the flesh warth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So here is Noah. He still has a fallen nature. Not a denom- deno- demonic nature like, like all of those, most of those people who died in the flood, but a fallen nature just like us. And so I think he got, drink, got drunk for the same reason most people with a fallen nature get drunk just for a temporary escape from the world that he was in. That's what he was looking for. There was no other escape there. He couldn't find an escape. He, he, he tried to find it in prayer. He couldn't find it in prayer. He, he, and like I say, he had nothing else to do, and so he plants a vineyard with the intention of drinking wine. I don't know his intention was to get drunk, but his intention was to drink wine. And he doesn't go to a bar to get that wine. He doesn't go to a party to get that wine. He couldn't have done that if he had wanted to. There weren't any parties. There weren't any bars. He gets drunk all alone in his tent. Now, what harm could that do? If I take my wine bottle and I go in my tent, who am I going to harm? You've got to be careful with that. Because when you get drunk, you numb your senses. And the devil loves that. Because whenever your senses are numb, no matter where you're at, the devil can set a trap for you. And he can cause you to fall. And, 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 and there's a danger. Uh, again, you're going to end up getting drunk and you're going to do something that you're going to regret for the rest of your life. Now, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. Look at Noah's sin here. I mean, uh, let's uh, read this verse 21 again. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. Now, his sin bears some striking similarities to the sin of Adam. Let me, let me give you some of these uh, similarities. Both Noah and Adam were heads of the human race. I mean, Adam began it all, and then Noah began it all after the flood. Now, think about this if you're the devil. Uh, Think about it from the devil's standpoint. Look at the success you would have, the great work you would do for your kingdom, if you could get the head to fall. So he got Adam and Eve to fall, and now he works on Noah, and he gets Noah to fall. So, so, so uh, God told them to be fruitful and to multiply, 
and, and they were the heads of the human race, and now they're fallen. It's interesting that both of them, uh, for both of them, their sin had something to do with fruit. I mean, think about it. Adam ate of the forbidden fruit uh, in the Garden of Eden, the fruit, forbidden fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And Noah ate of the fruit of the vine and got drunk. After their sin, they both were humiliated and they were naked. How about that? I mean, uh, isn't that what sin does to all of us? Isn't that what it ends up doing to all of us? I mean, it ends up humiliating us. I mean, you, you let the devil snare you into a trap and you fall into some great sin, you're going to be humiliated, especially as a child of God. You're going to be humiliated when it's all over. But it's also interesting that their nakedness was covered by someone else. I mean, God himself covered the nakedness of Adam. Uh, Noah's nakedness was covered by his good sons. I guess all three of them, fallen sons. But the sons who acted better, Japheth and Shem, the ones who wouldn't be cursed. And speaking of curses, both of their sins resulted in a curse. Uh, Adam's in a curse on the whole earth. Noah's in a curse on the line of Shem, I mean a line of Ham, I'm sorry, the line of Ham, and uh, which would represent one-third of the flow of the population through the genealogy, so a curse on one-third of mankind. And now that brings us to the sin of Ham. And this is something we want to look at real carefully here in verse number 22. Look at this, and it says, And Ham, the father of Canaan, we're going to understand why that's here next week when we get into the actual curse. Canaan is going to get the brunt of the curse. Okay, and so he's the father of Canaan. And you, when you see uh, Noah curse Ham, he's going to say in verse number 25, Cursed be Canaan. Because of your attitude, because of your sin, it's going to result in a curse on all of your descendants. And that's, that's, we'll get that curse next week. But back to verse 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. So this is the sin of Ham. One short verse, 18 words. But in those 18 words, we have all we need to figure out just what this curse of Ham is. So what does Ham do? He's the youngest son. He walks into Noah's tent. He sees him drunk and naked, and then he goes and gets his brothers. Now, here's where we get some insight into this, some deeper insight into this. That word saw there means much more than just seeing. It means to gaze. So Ham didn't just see his father drunk and naked. He gazed. And his father drunk and naked for minutes, maybe hours. He just stood there. He saw his father in the tent. He saw him naked. And he just gazed at him. He just looked at him. And then later on, he, he uh, which is very telling, he goes and gets his brothers and wants them to come and gaze on Noah too. Now, and this sin that he commits against his father is going to bring a curse again on one-third of mankind. 
And, and actually, the word curse is a little strong. Actually, what's going to happen, Ham is going to get less of a blessing than his brothers. Uh, and, and so in that way, it's a curse. But we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that again next week when we get to the actual curse. So just what was the sin of Ham? I want you to read that again. Verse number 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw, naked, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two, two brothers who were outside. I mean, what does he do there that is a sin? I mean, he gazed upon his father naked. I guess you could say that's a sin, but would that be a sin that would curse a third of mankind? I don't think so. That sin had to be something much greater than just seeing his father naked. Something much greater than that. And there are three main theories. The first theory I'm going to give you is the most common theory, but it is the stupidest theory of all. I have people tell me that theory sometime, and I say, okay, good, you, go, you believe that if you want to. If you want to be wrong, that's not right. And if you start exegeting the Bible uh, like that, uh, you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. How are we going to find out the sin of Ham? We're going to find out the sin of Ham by looking at verse number 22. God gave us what we need to know about the sin of Ham in verse number 22. Well, the first theory, and it's the most common theory, was that while Noah was drunk, he had sexual relationship with Noah's wife, his own mother. Incest was his sin. And they base that upon the fact that in Leviticus, it tells us that if you have incest with your mother or with someone in your family, uh, your sister or someone like that, you expose the nakedness of your father. That's what it says. Go with me for a minute. Just a couple of books over to, to uh, Leviticus. And look in chapter number 18. And this is the law on sexual immorality relating to incest. Listen to what it says in verse number 6. I'm in chapter 18, verse number 6. It says, None of you shall approach anyone who is near kin of him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. Because when you, when you approach someone sexually that's not your wife, you shame her, you shame yourself. Okay? Incest is a sin of shame. It makes you naked. The nakedness of your father, the nakedness of your mother, you shall not uncover. She is your mother, you shall not uncover her nakedness. You shouldn't have sex with your mother. I mean, golly, is that not obvious? Man, I tell you what, we're heading into a world right now where that won't, you'll be seeing that before long. But there's nothing new under the sun. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover because when you do that, you shame your father. It is your father's nakedness. And so what they say... They say that this verse, going back now to Genesis chapter 9, verse 22, they say that the father's nakedness uh, is the nakedness that Noah experienced uh, because Ham had sex with his wife. And I can't think of anything that would make you more humiliated or feel more naked than for your son to have sex with his mother, your wife. That, that would be a humiliating experience. But there is... Nothing in this text 
in Genesis chapter 9 that indicates that's what, that's what happened here. And if it happened, let me tell you what, the Bible would be clear about it. It would say that it happened. So that's not what happened here. No way that happened here. And, and anybody that says it did, they're, ju- they're just engaging in wild speculation. And like I say, run from them if you can. Uh, the passage simply tells us that Noah got drunk. He got drunk and he got naked. Why would he get naked when he got drunk? You ever gotten drunk? Uh, raise your hand. No, don't raise your hand. My wife raises her hand. See, you can't do that. This is a... <laughs> there was, I mean, I, I almost said something. I'm not going to say it. But something happens when you get drunk. Your clothes fall off. There was a song about that a while back. Man, where are we going here? What happens when you get drunk? I have experience in this from years ago. You feel hot and everything feels humid. It can be 50 degrees in the room and you feel like you're burning up. So you take your clothes off. And so are you? You know, there's another reason, and maybe Noah, that was the reason his wife was there, and he got drunk, and he said, wow, we, we've been on this boat a long time, you know. So, so there's, there's some other reasons here. But there's nothing here that indicates Ham ever came near the bed of Noah. He stood there, and he gazed at Noah. Well, that brings us to another common interpretation, and this is kind of the one I thought it was for years, because I I thought this was such a serious sin that I would think of the most awful sin in my mind, you know, and and this one would pop up. And that would be that that, uh, he had had committed a homosexual act with his father, either by lusting his father, looking at his father with lust, and wishing he could have sexual relations with him, or actually going into the bed and having sexual relations with him. But again, nowhere does this say that, that... he, he did that. Now, verse 24 does indicate, look at verse 24, when Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his younger son had done to him. Now, that sounds like he did something to him very, very serious that causes a third of the world's population to be cursed. And so you can interpolate that and come up with the fact that maybe he committed a homosexual act, either an la- act of lust or an actual homosexual uh, relationship with his father while his father was drunk. But again, the text does not indicate that Ham ever left the doorpost. That he just stood there and he just looked at his father. And, you know, as I said earlier, that doesn't seem like it be, could be such a great sin that it would cause a third of the earth to be cursed but it was a great sin. I think it's one of the greatest sins that any person can commit. And that brings us to the third theory, the least common of the theories, but it's the right theory because that's exactly what the text tells us to happen. That Ham's sin, 
the sin of Ham, was gazing at his father and then going to get his brothers and try to get them to gaze too. Now, that's what the text tells us. And the question you got to ask is, why is that such a terrible sin that would bring this curse upon a good portion of mankind? Let me tell you why. Because Ham was gloating at Noah's fall. That's what he was doing. Friend, I mean, here was this guy who was one of the greatest men who had ever walked this earth. And he had brought them up, Ham, Shem, and Jabeth. He had brought them up to live righteously in a terribly wicked world. And probably what that meant, that he was pretty strict on them. I mean, the worse that things get in this world, the stricter you have to be on your children. Not because you don't love them, but because you do love them. You can't let them watch TV anymore on their own. If you do, their minds are going to be trash forever. You can't let them just go to the movies with their friends anymore. You can't let them play outside anymore. You've got to be strict on them because you live in a very wicked, wicked world. And you better watch your children every minute of every day. And here was Noah. I mean, here was this guy. I mean, he talked with God. He was God's friend like Moses was God's friend. And now he sees his father in this drunken stupor, on, naked on his bed, and here's his sin. He sees his father in this condition. He sees his father sinning because he was sinning. Drunkenness is a sin. And it pleased him. He gloated over it. It pleased him. I mean, I can just hear him taunting his father. I mean, look at you now, you mighty warrior of God. You supposedly lived on a moral plane better than everybody else. And now you're laid up in your bed drunk and naked. Hey, you're the new head of the human race. And you're no better than the people who died in the flood. I mean, look at you. And then to make matters worse, he goes and gets his brothers and say, you got to see this. You got to see your father living in sin here. This mighty man, this, this, this man who, uh, was high and mighty compared to everybody else. Come look at him now. You know, there is nothing new under the sun. Ham had fallen into the same sin that is Satan's best trap, especially for people who are living pretty much righteously, pretty good people, people who are living better than all of those people who were destroyed in the flood. And that sin is legalism and self-righteousness. Measuring your righteousness not by your faith, but by your works. I mean, here's Hammond. He's saying, I would never do that. I'm better than my father. He had disdain for his father. I think he had disdain in his heart for his father before this happened, certainly. And his father knew he had disdain for him. Because when he woke, he knew what Ham had, had, Ham had done. 
Look, Noah wasn't saved because he never got drunk. Noah was saved because he found favor in the eyes of God because of his faith. And Ham had forgotten that. And he thought that they were saved because they were better than everybody else who died in the flood. Ham thought he was even, him and his brothers were even better than his father. This father who had been so strict on them, he was either, even better than them. And now his father demonstrates to Ham, in Ham's mind, that he's no better than any of them. He's a sinner just like everybody who died in the flood. And he has disdain for his father, and he gazes on him. He just looks at him in disgust with a self-righteous attitude. You ever do that? I do. I preached a message last week, and when I was preaching, a guy was saying, yeah, you're wrong. Preached a message looking down on a group of people that don't live as righteously as I do. And I said, Lord, show me why you pulled your anointing, why I knew, you, why you told me you were wrong. And I said, get your message ready and I'll show you. Because you committed the sin of ham. Self-righteousness, thinking we're better than all of those homosexuals. We're better than all of those, those people who are living decadently in the United States. We're better than all the Democrats. We're better than all the liberals. There's a real danger there that we're committing the sin of Ham. And there's nothing new under the sun. That sin has been the downfall of some of the greatest people to ever live on this earth. Cain. Think about Cain just a few chapters back. Here was this guy who, 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 who was a hard worker living a righteous life. And he saw his brother Abel bring this offering and, and, and God accepted his offering and he didn't take Cain's offering and Cain hated his brother. He despised his brother. He despised his brother. Why? Because to despise someone, what do you have to do? You have to think you're better than them. And so he despised his brother and he killed his brother. I mean, look at Saul. That great warrior of God, I mean, I mean, the tallest man in Israel, the most handsome man in Israel. He started out so well. But then David came along, and he did everything he could to kill David. And one of the reasons he wanted to kill David, because David loved the Lord and had a relationship with the Lord, and Saul didn't. And Saul felt, I'm better than David. Why don't I have that relationship? The reason he didn't have that relationship, because he was self-righteous. And he thought he was better. A couple of weeks ago, Brandon went through... Uh, the story of Jehu. You remember Jehu? I mean, this mighty warrior of God who executed one of God's curses on the wicked family of Ahab. He went in and he killed Jezebel. And I mean, when he killed Jezebel, he looked at her and said, you wicked, you know what? He said, you're going to die. And then he went and he got all the prophets of Baal. He went to the temple of Baal. He destroyed the temple of Baal. He destroyed all the prophets of Baal. And, and, And man, he was doing a great work. And over and over again, it says he had a zeal to do the work of God. I mean, he he seemed like a great man of God. But you know how the text ends? 
It ends with him worshiping the golden calf. The same golden calf that Jeroboam put in Samaria, he went and worshiped that calf. What's that tell you? It tells you he never knew the Lord. He had a zeal for the Lord, but he never knew the Lord. Oh, I'm better than, than Ahab. I'm better than Jezebel. I'm better than these prophets of Baal. But he never did anything to fix his own heart. Now move forward in time to the New Testament. And who were the masters of this sin of Ham? Remember the Pharisees? You remember the, the parable that Jesus told about the prodigal son? It's not about the prodigal son. You know what the parable is about? It's about the older brother. Because he was addressing the Pharisees. The older brother, when the son came home and the father received the son and he killed the fatted cow and he threw a big party, you remember what the, the older son did? He was mad. I'm better than my brother. I work harder than my brother. He doesn't deserve your grace. We can look out on this world and we can say to people, you don't deserve the grace. I deserve it. You don't deserve it. That's the sin of Ham. Jesus kind of nailed it with a parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. You remember that story. They both went to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee said, thank God I'm not like that tax collector. I go to the synagogue every Sabbath. I I pray every day. I give a tenth of everything I have. Uh, I read my Bible. I'm an expert in scriptures. (coughs) Thank God I'm not like him. And then the tax collector beat his chest. And he wouldn't so much as look up at God. And he said, God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, which of these men went away justified? And the answer was, the tax collector went away justified. Listen to me. Ham's sin of self-righteousness, looking at other sinners with disdain, is far worse than if he had had a homosexual act with his father. Now, we don't see that, but that, it is far worse. It's far worse than if he had had relations with his mother. Oh, I would never do that. Well, maybe you wouldn't do that, but you do a lot of things, and I do a lot of things we shouldn't do. And I have no right to point the finger at anybody. I mean, Noah's drunkenness, Ham thought it was terrible, but it wasn't in the league of Ham's sin. Because when you go down that path of self-righteousness, you are in danger of hellfire. Ham's sin is incurable if you die in that sin. I mean, someone who commits a homosexual act, they can repent of it. They can get saved. Someone who commits incest, they can say, wow, what did I do that for? And they could repent and find forgiveness in the Lord and, and change their, have their life changed by the Lord. A drunkard can go to the Lord and say, Lord, take this away and, 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 and exchange this for the, for the vine of the Spirit instead of the fruit of the vine. I mean, there's help for them. But 
Ham's sin is a very dangerous sin. Because that sin, when we start looking at other sinners with disdain, that sin can bring us down. Now, I'll tell you what, if you're a child of God, learn from my lesson that God teaches me over and over again, by the way, to not look down on other people. Because if you don't learn, he's going to knock you down. You start thinking you're better than others, he's going to knock you down. But here's the real scary warning, is that we grow up in these homes where, where, where the father's a Christian, the mother's a Christian, we go to church, we read our Bibles, we do all of these things, and we look out on the wicked world, how wicked they are, and we look at our lives, and we look at this world, and we say, I'm better than them. They're disgusting to me. You know what we're saying? We're saying we're righteous on our own. By our own works instead of by our faith. There's a big advantage of getting down in the gutter and getting saved. Big advantage because you, you keep coming back to that cross. You keep coming back to God's mercy. And it's oh, shame on me whenever I point a finger at anybody. Go back to the days before God saved me. Now, Shem and Japheth loved their father. I think they had real faith. They didn't disdain their father. Sure, he had fallen. But in their eyes, he was still a mighty man of God. So look at what happens in verse number 23. It says, but Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on their shoulders, and they went backwards. See the respect they had for their father? So that they couldn't see their father in, his, in, this, in, this, in his condition, and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. But Noah awoke from, but maybe a better translation there, but Noah awoke from his wine, and he knew that his, what his younger son had done to him. How did he know that his son had gazed at him? Well, first of all, he didn't have his clothes on. He knew he'd taken his clothes off, and now his clothes are on. So he knew somebody had put his clothes on him. And I, if you have a son that disdains you, that hates you, father doesn't have to, the father knows that. I mean, deep down inside, you know if you've got a son that despises you. You know that. And so he knows, he knew that Ham despised him. And so when he wakes up from his drunken stupor, he figured that Ham had seen him drunk and gotten his brothers, and, and uh, he knew what he had done to him, and he's going to be cursed by his father. And we'll look at that curse next week. And here's what, keep in mind, when, if you disagree with me on this being the sin of Ham, you want to disagree, you, you can choose to be wrong if you want to. But... <laughs> but Look at the punishment next week that Ham gets, and you'll see the punishment fits the crime perfectly. Okay, hang on to that thought for next week because the punishment is exactly what self-righteousness would deserve, exactly what would happen. What happens to self-righteous people? What happened to Jehu? And what happens to the Pharisees? Same thing happens is going to happen to 
to Ham's descendants. And we'll look at that next time. Well, let me finish today by giving you some really good news and some really bad news. What do you want first? Bad news. Let's get the bad news over with. Here's the bad news. There is nothing new under the sun. Noah was a sinner just as Adam was a sinner. Just as you and I are sinners. He lived in a world just as bad as the world we live in today and it's not going to get any better. There will be some periods of rest and some periods where things seem to be getting better, but men have a fallen nature. All of us humans have a fallen nature, and we have a propensity to sin, a propensity to do wickedness and not good, and if we're not in a relationship with the Lord, then everybody's going to do it. You would do it too if you weren't saved. That's why we don't point the finger. That's the bad news. Now let me give you the really good news. There is nothing new under the sun. The same grace that saved Noah and Adam and David and those disciples is the same grace that saved you and I. But if you want to find that grace, And keep that grace. Then you've got to come to God like that tax collector. God be merciful upon me. I'm a sinner just like all the wicked people in this world. Instead of being like Ham, Lord. Help me to be like those early disciples. And help me to look at everybody with the potential that they have to be a child of God. And to go out with everything I have and try to reach them for the kingdom of God. Instead of judging them to hell. That's the sin of Ham and we don't want to engage in it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word today and how clearly it speaks to us in the age in which we live. And in every age, Lord, that by your mercy we're saved. The only reason any of us can boast, Lord, and we can't even boast in that, is that we have found favor in your eyes. We found that grace that can be found only in Jesus Christ, not in our good works, not in our upbringing, not in our church attendance, not in our Bible reading, not in our prayer life, but only in your grace. We thank you so much for that grace, Lord. I thank you for Jesus. We love you, Jesus. It's in your precious name that we pray.